And with me this morning, our panelists, Lukman Haris, anchor and journalist at Astro Awani. Also, KL Chan, journalist from the Malaysian Insight. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, Shaz. Okay, good morning. Now, uh, the Finance Minister, Lim Kuan Eng, says he was not aware that an agency under the ministry sponsored a trip to Turkey for the Inspector General of Police and other top brass at Bukit Aman. He said the sponsorship was approved by the Malaysian Totalisator Board and not by the Finance Ministry. Now, I guess the question is, is it fair for Lim Kuan Eng to say he doesn't know about the transaction since, you know, this board is a GLC under the Ministry of Finance? Technically, the law does say that it does not require MOFs or his approval. But if it's only so simple, because we only have, we also have other elements. We also have, you know, we also have logic because here you have uh, a company which is either directly or indirectly definitely governed one way or another by the police or the MOF spending a huge amount of money to sponsor this trip. Um, the conflict of interest is somewhat glaring. And not to mention the public perception is not good. So mm-hmm. n- technically, it's probably fair for Guan Eng to say that. But at the end of the day, the public's perception does not seem to uh, concur with that. Yeah, it doesn't inspire confidence, does yeah. it? Um, Chan, what I, your thoughts? I think legally, um, Guan Eng, I mean, the finance ministry is not needed to approve such transactions because the um, the Mal- the board, the Malaysian Totalizator Board, is a is is allowed to run on its own transactions. Mm. Yeah, for me, it's, it's kind of strange that they would sponsor a trip for mm. the police. I, I'm not right. sure what's the rationale for that. Were they looking at online gambling and and these type of things? I I, I guess I guess for the uh, gambling, uh, for the gaming, for the gaming bots like that, it, there's some cooperation with the police when it comes to stemming illegal gambling and illegal betting. So. So, uh, but I, again, it, it, it's, it looks uh, it looks glaring. It looks out of place. The the, the yeah. trip was also to attend some courses or some sort of educational mm. programs to curb and enforce online gaming and mm-hmm. gambling. But you have to remember, the, wish me luck on this. Malaysia Totalizator Board <laughs> It's actually a board, board formed under the Racing Act 1961, and they are responsible for controlling and coordinating betting on horse races. Right. Something which will very much be under the purview of the police to govern. Mm-hmm. So if you sponsor a huge amount of money to, to to the police, it is it is a glaring conflict of interest, and it does not inspire confidence, as you said. Well, mm. not only that, I think there were some uh, various photos of family members accompanying, mm. uh, you know, these top brass. So <laughs> to me, to to me, there's no place for this in Malaysia, yeah, Baru, because no. if anything, it is slightly hypocritical. They should know better. At this point, to be fair, we do not know yet the full facts. We just know what has been presented and what has been reported. But even with the facts that we already have, um, the public's perception and expectations towards these individuals and these ministries and these agencies and the police, of course, is much higher. And and they, the public shouldn't be disappointed by something petty like this. All right. With me this morning, Lukman Haris, anchor and journalist at Astro Awani, and KL Chan, journalist from Malaysian Insight on the front page. When we come back, we'll take a look at Sharia compliant lying. Well, that's up next after Jason Mraz and Kobe Calais on Light. With me this morning on front page is KL Chan from Malaysian Insight and uh, Lukman Haris, anchor and journalist at Astro Awani. Now, let's take a look at this interesting piece about Sharia compliant lying. Now, past leader Nick Muhammad Abdul, Nick Abdul Aziz has admitted that party president Datuk Sri Abdul Hadi Awang was the one who gave his blessings for him to deny a controversial audio recording. Nick Abdul said initially he wanted to admit the veracity of the recording 
hearing in which he was said to have confessed that the party had received millions of ringgit from rival Amno, but realized that it would be used by detractors to destroy PAS. Now, facing difficulties, he, he said, I asked the PAS president for an answer. The president quickly blessed my decision to deny it. I obeyed and was glad to receive my mandate. Now, he was informed beforehand that the recording of his speech would be leaked. So he had to, you know, quickly do some damage control mm. here. He said both decisions were Sharia compliant, which is really odd. Um, in other news, but somewhat related, Dato Sri Abdul Hadi Awang said that it is pointless to be in a position of power if you lied your way to get there. Um, this is, of course, with regards to the questionable education degrees and qualifications of Pakatan Harpan leaders that have been in the news lately. So I feel there's a bit of hypocrisy going on here. I mean, I suppose that's politics for you, right? Right. But first, um, what of this Sharia compliance when it comes to downright fibbing? Well, obviously, I'm not a religious expert, nor am I a very pious man. But um, <laughs> but there are some there are a lot of debatable things in any religion, whether it's permitted or whether it's encouraged or whatever. But I think lying is one of those very one of the simplest conducts or acts that anyone can agree to that it's wrong. So when you say Sharia compliant lying, I do not know what that means. And as you've mentioned, Shah Hadi Awang himself has criticized people who lied, uh, making reference to you know this degree conundrum, all this debacle about fake degrees and diploma mills and all those things. And he comes out here and he says, oh, it's okay to uh, or Ding Abdul said it's okay to lie. I've gotten the the blessing from Hadi Awang. It, did, it really doesn't make sense. And what's disappointing mm. is that in a time when perception towards the ruling government has actually deteriorated, the least that you can expect spec is the opposition strengthening for a healthy check and balance system within Malaysia. So even if the opposition is embroiled in little petty things like this, it's quite disappointing. But there's no such thing. I think lying is just wrong. It is, isn't it? What are your thoughts, uh, Chan? Well, we are coming to politics here. So, well, the thing is, politicians sometimes have <laughs> double speak all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, pass, although it stands on a religious platform, it, it, it is no different, you know. And it has done it from time to time mm. <laughs> and of course now the you know now it becomes official yeah we did it so my my concern over this is that after Nick Abdul has admitted that he lied and therefore that sort of proves that he got some money from somewhere and now my question is it's about where did the money come from right. and uh, where does it link to and what was the purpose mm. but, but here's the thing I understand to a certain extent I'm a pragmatist and I understand when you say oh politicians like this lah yeah. But that's the thing. We catch ourselves saying that, consciously or subconsciously accepting that as the norm for politicians. And we need to stop doing that. Yeah. Let's not have this uh, way of thinking, especially in Malaysia Baru, we just shrug it off and say, oh, politicians like this. Mm-hmm. La. Yeah. Because as long as we condone it like this, mm-hmm. then then it will just become worse and worse. Mm. All right. With me this morning, KL Chan, a journalist from Malaysian Insight and Lukman Haris, anchor and journalist at Astro Awani. When we come back, we'll take a look at the Bosco phenomena and that hoodie. What's this all about and how will this translate to votes for Barisan National? Well, we've got all that up next after Amy Grant and the traffic update here on Light. 
And with me this morning on front page, Lukman Haris, anchor and journalist at Astro Awani, also KL Chan from a Malaysian Insight. Now, this is interesting. Uh, he was clad in a Bosco hoodie and mobbed by fans at um, a hypermarket in Semenye. Datuk Sri Najib Razak was welcomed like a celebrity in yet another signal that his newfound popularity may help Barisan Nationals' chances in the upcoming by-election. I mean, despite facing delayed um, trials linked to 1MDB. His fate has turned since he adopted a more people-friendly approach. And of course, that Bosco hoodie as well. Uh. So <laughs> I guess for me, the mind boggles, you know, have people forgotten that this former leader is to stand trial for corruption? Are people so quick to forget? Chan? Well, I, I'm not sure if forgotten is the right word for it, but um, Malaysians are a very forgiving people. And I mean, through the couple of the few by-elections that has taken place, we have gone down to the ground we have talked to people and we've asked them what do you think of Najib you know and uh, you'll be surprised to learn that uh, a lot of them would say things like oh he's down now so we are you know we don't mind forgiving him it's just corruption it's just corruption yeah it's just corruption you know and and times were really good under him you know we had more brief we had more bonuses just corruption but but let's think whether whether the seeming change in perception can translate to votes for Barisan National in the next PRK or the PRU or the GE is it remains to be seen but I had a very interesting conversation with a friend of mine yesterday she said what I think about Najib's newfound popularity on social media is that um, and she was not particularly a supporter of Najib but she said I do not like him more for it but I do not dislike him more for <laughs> it. But at least... He is tu- rather amusing. Yeah, but at least... I, exactly. So she said, she then said, at least I tune in every day to his Facebook page to see uh, what he posts just for a good laugh. How and he's going to troll you. Yeah, <laughs> and I think this is probably the best thing that he can do now. This guy is standing trial for multiple charges of corruption. 42 charges. 42 charges. Oh. So he, the least he can do is limit the damage and he's doing a very good job right and it seems though um, at this point he seems to be pandering to a certain segment of the voter why do you feel the change in demographics I feel there is a bit of a change here I I think they have always uh, targeted that segment you know and because I don't see him doing this in more affluent neighborhoods uh, neighborhoods yeah uh, I, I would like to see it. I know if he. Turned, oh, I'd like to see. Yeah, it. I would I'd like to there. see if he turns up in <laughs> Bangsa shopping complex. <laughs> exactly, Chas. You'll be there. Why? But that, does, does that mean that you like him no, more, or see, you support him? I just want to see how people will respond. So as, as, a, as a journalist, yeah, exactly. You know, so I think the, uh, the novelty of it, the novelty of him yeah, the coming, novelty is there. It is, is it's just a, a factor in itself. But does it translate to, or does it mean bigger or um, larger support for him? Probably not. Well, you know, had he changed up this image and persona prior to GE14 last year, do you think Barisan National would have had a better chance at winning the election? Better mm. chance, yes, but I don't think they would, they would win have? because mm. there are a lot more pressing issues, especially economic in nature. At the end of the day, if yeah, if he was a king of trolls or he was a cool prime minister last time but at the end of the day you feel that you don't have money in your pocket people will still have to vote with their pockets that's what people always do in most countries including during GE14 but what, what will happen here is that it will probably have the snowball effect there's, there's negative perception for the current government because there's perception that they are uh, not kept their promises there's perception that they are making a lot of U-turns and Najib ever being the opportunist rides on this wave and increases popularity on social media here's the test for me the acid test of because all the rest is sentiment and probably subject to one's own bias right so the true empirical test for this the Najib phenomenon the Bosco phenomenon would be Semenye 
All right. And of course, with me this morning is um, Lukman Haris from Astrawani and KL Chan from Malaysian Insight. When we come back, we'll take a look at the new appointees over at the Election Commission. We've got our very own law lecturer, Azmi Sharam, who is a panelist on front page for how long he'll be doing this with us. God only knows, but he's been appointed as deputy chairman of the Election Commission. We've got that story up next on Light. On front page today with me is K.L. Chan from Malaysian Insight and Lukman Haris from Astro Awani. Now, uh, the EC has appointed a new deputy chief law lecturer and former front page panelist like yourselves, Azmi Sharum. Of course, Putrajaya announced the appointment of prominent law lecturer Azmi Sharum as deputy chairman of the Election Commission. The outspoken academic will assist Azhar Harun, popularly known go. as Art Harun, who was appointed to head the EC in September last year. Can you tell us um, what you know of these new commissioners? I mean, there have been uh, a few more, um, three more, Ramlan Ibrahim, as well as Chin Pek Yung and Faisal Haziz as well, yeah? Uh, it's very exciting. It's very exciting to see a new EC board that does not have an entire civil, former civil service group. They have got, uh, I think three of them were former uh, civil service leaders and the other two were, uh, are academics. And uh, Azmi Sharom, well, Azmi Sharum is, uh, has been around for <laughs> quite a long time writing yeah, columns, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not much is known about Dr. Faisal, or, or not much is said about Dr. Faisal, but mm. Dr. Faisal has been contributing uh, quite prominently in the field of uh, political science as okay. well. He's from University Kebangsaan Malaysia, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's too early to, to say, uh, as you mentioned just now, we don't know yet. Uh, probably Shaz knows Azmi better than we do, but um, being a former panelist of, of the front page, but it's very refreshing to have academics Azmi included within the team because I think SPR or the Election Commission is one of those bodies where it's not really central to display what you do but it's really central for you to go by the book and stay by the book and hopefully a law professor and academicians would stay by the book even more thoroughly and even more in a disciplined manner. I think previous boards were really good at following the law Mm. you know and that to a certain extent is uh, one of our problems. Things get very legalistic. Shouldn't it be? Um, for election I, I, I'm not sure Okay When we talk about EC commissioners here it, They are like Referees in a football game mm-hmm. Yeah Yeah There's one One thing is to follow the law mm. You know of the, of the rules of the game And make sure everyone plays According to the rules But as like In every football match There will be You know Portions where uh, Justice or fairness Has to come in And, and that I think for a long time was missing among commissioners. You mean there are areas of subjectivity when yeah, it comes yeah, to organizing yeah. when, the when the law doesn't cover, you know, the law cannot cover everything. Right. So you have people now today who, who are able to look at things with a more fairer way maybe and uh, more justice okay. and that, that seems to have been lacking. So these are cases like Dr. Sriram not being uh, given permission to enter because he forgot his tag or something like that. Mm-hmm. So these are the grey areas or the subjective areas you mentioned, is it? <laughs> Rantau uh, wasn't grey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, all right, do you feel the previous commissioner should be accountable for some of the funny business during GE14? By right, of course, he has to be. If you are the leader of an organisation, any organisation, especially one entrusted with a mandate so big as the EC, this is the organisation entrusted with the f- democracy and future of our children and grandchildren. <laughs> well, no matter what happens, you can't just say, if you can say Guan Eng cannot say um, he doesn't know that the trip was 
sponsored by an agency under MOF, then you have to be fair. The, the head of the EC must be responsible, although he claims that he's aware or he's not aware uh, of whatever it is that has happened, especially things that probably could have affected the future of the democracy of this country. All right. Well, with me this morning, Lukman Haris from Astro Amwani, KL Chan from Malaysian Insight. When we come back, we'll take a look at this uh, perplexing thing that's happened. Tun Dr. Mahathir Muhammad has just accepted seven UMNO MPs into his political party. And this has sparked angry statements all around. That is up next here on Light. And on front page this morning with me from Astro Awani, Lukman Haris, and from Malaysian Insight, KL Chan. Now, Malaysian Prime Minister Tun Dr. Mahathir Muhammad has just accepted seven UMNO MPs into his political party, Bersatu. He initially said he would not accept defectors from UMNO as members of Pakatan Harpa. Now, the news sparked an angry statement from Chang Li Kang, Vice President of PH Component Party, PKR, who called the move a sheer betrayal of the people people's decision to oust UMNO at the elections. Now, I guess Tun initially said he will not accept defectors from UMNO as registered members of the coalition, particularly criminals with records of corruption. How can you accept a member into the party but not the coalition? Let's not take that literally. I think he probably meant uh, he will not take them into you know, under the umbrella of, of the current government, whether it's the coalition or the party. But obviously he has done so now with the seven MPs being the latest uh, instance. I do think it's disappointing. It is disappointing because these are not even regular members of AMNO last time. These were very high-ranking members. Hamza Zainuddin was a minister. So when you were a minister, not only did you have to toe the line with your leader and support whatever your leader did, which was Najib Razak, but you also had to actively contribute actively execute all the policy decisions even the policy decisions which probably were not supported by ph voters who have voted ph into power now you're taking him to be the side of the government although not in any capacity where he is like a, a high-ranking member within the party or the cabinet and mas ermiati i remember mas ermiati she of course was a very high-ranking leader within amno and i remember she was there beside najib when najib essentially gave his the speech where he considered loss basically mm-hmm. and at that point in time you wouldn't think that a few months later not even a year later mas ermiati would be accepted into bersatu i just think it's off it may be practical it may be pragmatic people right. say that it's to boost support within the parliament but at the end of the day the people gave you a mandate and trust and i do not particularly feel betrayed yet personally but i would understand if some of the ph voters feel betrayed because all these old so called old wine in new bottles are being <laughs> are being taken in you know okay kl chan you rolled your eyes there a little bit <laughs> yeah i no i i know it's disappointing it's an analogy. to see that they have uh, you know taking in but i suppose the, um, i think there's a pragmatic uh, side of this probably and i'm going to play the devil's advocate and say mm. the pakatan was brought in f- to do certain things to do certain reforms to carry out certain reforms and many of these reforms if not all require legal amendments constitutional amendments and so i i guess the long way of looking at it is that how can they achieve these reforms if they do not have sufficient mps in parliament to vote for them So but I'll be very careful about how these uh, new chaps are going to be uh, you know working and uh, I hope that the this doesn't mean that one or two of them who have may have uh, you know old cases pending 
but mm-hmm. they do they do have the votes in the parliament for minor or medium level uh you no know, legal changes they want to make introduce a new act or repeal acts it's just that if they want to repeal or change anything in the federal constitution yeah. would require That's for true. them to have a two thirds majority so does that mean that they want they'll probably change huge things in the federal constitution because they want well time will tell I do not know. <laughs> I, I mean, something as simple as let's say we say separating the AG powers and from the public prosecutor yep. yeah. is a federal constitution amendment. Okay. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a great discussion here this morning on front page. Of course, uh, joining me this morning was Lukman Haris, anchor and journalist at Astro Awani, and KL Chan, journalist from Malaysian Inside. Um, this discussion, of course, will be on our podcast a little later after 10 a.m. on Light.my.